Well, let me pray. Father, thank you for the songs that we just sang. Thank you for every one of the students here. You know them each individually. You (laughs) knew them when you created them. You know them now. You sustain every breath that they breathe. And you are a holy God. Like all of us just proclaimed that. That you are a holy God and that you are the only holy God. You're the Lord God alone forever. Eternal and the only God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize that tonight. Even as we're looking at the life of King Solomon, an old historical narrative in, the, in your word, Lord. Show us your holiness. Show us that you alone are God, that you're eternal. Show us your power. And namely tonight, show us your wisdom. Show us the power of your word and show us Christ. Lord, I pray for my own heart that you would just melt it under your word. Your word is weighty and it, it crushes sin. It convicts, but it's a delight and it encourages the believer who is weak and weary. I pray that you would do those things tonight with your word. As you've been faithful to the whole church in time past, Lord, be faithful again tonight. Bless us, Lord, and be with us. Keep us. We love you. Amen. All right. Open to 1 Kings 3. We're following the narrative of the life of Solomon in 1 Kings. And if you remember, the kingdom was, there was this crazy stuff going on in the first chapter where Solomon's brother tried to usurp the kingdom or take the kingdom. And King David establishes, really God establishes Solomon through King David, King David's work. Um, Now Solomon is on the throne. He's taken vengeance on the enemies of King David and the enemies of the Lord. And we come to chapter 3. I believe this is the most, probably the most taught on and most preached on um, chapter in the book of 1 Kings. If you've heard a a sermon from 1 Kings outside of the series, it's probably been from uh, chapter 3. So tonight I want to look at what is wisdom. I believe wisdom is the subject matter of this chapter. This is receiving wisdom of God is what we're looking at. And we're asking the question, what is wisdom right now? We're going to be answering tonight what some of the greatest minds in all of history have spent their whole lives searching for. Plato, Aristotle, searching for the wisdom, for wisdom itself, the deepest wisdom. They never found it. But if you have a Bible tonight, the wisdom of God is under your nose right now. The thing these men search for. All of you are looking for wisdom. I guarantee you that. Every single person in the world is looking for wisdom. The question is only what wisdom are you looking for and whether you're going to find the right one. We can't confuse wisdom with knowledge. Knowledge is knowing things. Wisdom is greater than knowledge. One man has defined wisdom saying wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Or wisdom is the proper use of knowledge. The proper godly use of what we know. The application of knowledge. Keep this in mind as we go through. You'll see this again and again. Wisdom is a gift, but knowledge must be earned. Wisdom is a gift. So turn to 1 Kings 3 if you're not already there. I believe at this time more than ever, the world is calling us, me and you, in so many different directions. Our generation is perhaps the most bombarded with fake wisdoms, with fraudulent wisdoms. It's like, have you ever been in a a conversation when like six people try to tell you the same story and you just don't know who to listen to? That's the world we live in. The world's calling you in so many different directions, but there's only one right answer. And this is what we're looking at. Who are we to listen to? What is wisdom? I was thinking of a scenario when I was very confused. I want you to imagine you're walking into an ice cream shop that you've never been in before. And you know that smell that hits you right when you walk in, that fresh smell. 
You're so excited to get your ice cream. You walk in, you're greeted really nicely because everyone has to be nice at ice cream shops. You look in the cases at all the different options, and that is the moment the terror strikes. There's hundreds, not all the time hundreds, there's usually tons of options though. Imagine there's hundreds of options in our case. Shoot, you don't, you don't know what's to the side, right? You've been there? There's colors everywhere, smells great, like I said. The only problem is you don't know what to choose. We're facing the same problem. That is the question of wisdom. That's what, that's what we're looking at in wisdom. What is the proper wisdom when there are all these counterfeits, frauds, and fakes? This is the point tonight if you walk away with nothing else. The world is offering you so many wisdoms, lowercase wisdoms, but there is only one true wisdom. And I believe this is evident in 1 Kings 3. Let's read the first 15 verses. 1 Kings 3, 1. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house. In the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. We'll see the house of the Lord be built later. Solomon loved the Lord. Note that. He walked in the statutes of David, his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king, Solomon, went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. That was the the high place. Oh, for that was the great high place. Thank you. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. It's a lot of steak. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. Solomon said, Lord, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you, and you have kept for him this great and steadfast love. Second time he said that word. And you have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Stop there for now. I'm convinced this passage is not a ridiculous, lofty idea just saying, just get wisdom. Good luck with that. I believe rather it's intended to show us how to get wisdom. If you ever heard a sermon on this section before, the point here was probably something like, what would you ask for if God came to you in a dream? Or maybe worse than that, if you sacrifice a thousand bulls, you'll get wisdom. And then you and I, you know this, we leave thinking either, One, I don't have a thousand bulls. Or two, okay, I'll just wait for God to appear to me in a dream and then you'll be waiting for a very, 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 very long time. But I would propose this instead to you. Something more accessible, something more valuable, and I believe something far more faithful to the text than any of those. The text shows how we are to seek wisdom. James says in the New Testament, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. Do you want wisdom? You're all searching for wisdom. You want proper wisdom. <laughs> if you don't want wisdom, I, I suggest you go read Proverbs 1-7. If any of you sitting in your chair, I don't want wisdom, go read Proverbs 1-7 and tell me what you think. It says that fools despise wisdom and instruction. So you're either a fool or you're searching for wisdom. Let's assume, though, by God's grace that all of you in here are searching for wisdom. And as we've said, it's there for the asking. It's there for the asking. Look at what God says to Solomon immediately. Ask what I shall give you. That will be our first point if you're taking notes. Ask what I shall give you. That is that wisdom is there for the asking. 
Let's look at the way Solomon asks the Lord and how then we learn how we're properly to ask the Lord for wisdom ourselves in our lives. Solomon begins saying, you have shown great and steadfast love. Note that word, steadfast love. That's an attribute of the Lord. Then further on, he says, you have kept for him, David, my father, this great and steadfast love. Again, an attribute or a characteristic of God. This is how he's praying. Immediately when he begins praying, the first syllable to leap out of his mouth is a praise to God. The question then is, is praise the first syllable that comes out of your mouth when you begin prayer? <laughs> if you think about it, we're asking great things when we pray. We're asking great things from God. If we, didn't, if we didn't need help in those situations, we wouldn't be asking God for help in those situations. So we're asking him things that we know we can't do ourselves, which means that we're not applying ourselves to a weak and a wimpy God. It means that we're applying ourselves to a God who we believe is powerful enough to do the things that we ask. And Solomon proves that right here. Lord, you've shown great and steadfast love. You've kept for David, my father, this great and steadfast love. So we, in prayer, begin. The first component of your, of your prayer should be applying yourself to the God who is totally capable of answering those prayers. If not, I don't know why you pray. I don't know why I would pray. He's the, the owner of all things, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. And he's able to direct things as he desires. Let's look at the prayers of other godly men in the scripture. Nehemiah, you know, Nehemiah went and rebuilt all of Jerusalem from like a pile of rubble. His prayer goes like this. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant, your faithful and steadfast love. You are the Lord. You alone. There's none other like you. You've made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. Or how about Daniel? Let's take not our Daniel, but Daniel from the Bible. I'm sure Daniel would pray this though. Good. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant, again, is faithful and steadfast love. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. So when you're praying, the question is, to whom do you pray? Do you know to whom you pray? Do you know the character of whom you're praying to? Look at what he's like. Look at what he's done. And your prayer will only be as strong as the God that you believe in, the God that you're applying yourself to. I was thinking about an example of this. If if I had to move a couch or something heavy, I'm not going to go out on the street and ask some random stranger or call like a wimpy friend or something. I'm going to call one of my buff buddies who I know can move it. We'll call Matthew Bloomquist. Dude, come over here and help me. Right? <laughs> he said, yeah. <laughs> Pride cometh before a fall, brother. Just kidding. I love you. I'm going to call one of my buff buddies because I know they can do it. The point is qualify your prayer on God's character. If you believe God can give you wisdom and that he is himself wisdom, then at the beginning of your prayer, recognize that, that it is he who gives and dispenses wisdom. That's what Solomon does. Qualify your prayer on God's character. He's able. Secondly, further on, Solomon is, is praying and he says all these wonderful things about God. But then that, notice the next thing he says, verse seven. Look at verse seven. He says, now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of David, my father. Get this. He says, although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. That means literally, I do not know what I'm doing. <clears throat> and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. So when we're applying ourselves to the Lord, when we're, when we're calling out to him in prayer, specifically in our case for wisdom, not only do we recognize how great God is, 
But next, we're recognizing remembering our own weaknesses. Recount what the Lord has done and remember your own weaknesses, my own weaknesses. The thing about us as humans, even as believers, is that it often takes some circumstance of like crazy sorrow or some ridiculous difficulty to finally drive us down to our knees. If that's the case, then my, as I was writing this, my prayer for myself and my prayer for you is that the Lord would only increase the feeling of inadequacy within us, within each of us, so that we would be driven down to our knees to him. I believe that's biblical. He is the Lord. He is holy. He is able. <laughs> and we remember our weaknesses. Realize yourself for who you are. The world tells us we're great. I was listening to some ridiculous self-help stuff the other day. We'll get to that. That's one of those fake wisdoms I'm talking about. But recognize who you are. In, in uh, chapter 2 of 1 Kings, David's dying on his deathbed. He speaks to Solomon and he says, you are a wise man. Note those two words, a wise or capable and able man. What does Solomon say about himself? Praying to God, saying, although I am a little child, the opposite of a man, and I do not know how to go out or come in. Or literally, I have no clue what I'm doing. He realizes his inadequacy in this. It's, it's realizing that God is the God of all wisdom in our case, and we want wisdom, and that we ourselves are totally, completely bankrupt of wisdom. Now, thirdly, check out this last part, and it may be my favorite. It's a concern for God's purpose and pleasure. A concern for God's purpose and pleasure. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 9. The Lord is great, I am not. Verse 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? Let's look at the Lord's response. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. We'll get to the rest of his response later. Just look at that. It pleased the Lord. Some of you not desire that. Some of you wouldn't. It'd be sweet to say it pleased the Lord. He prays that for a discerning mind, some, a mind that can discern between good and evil. The nature of Solomon's request is that the purposes of God would be advanced. If you look there in it, it's that God would make Solomon capable of the task which he has given him, which is to lead the people in righteousness and obedience, to, to lead this great people of God. So there's the purpose, a concern for God's purpose is is in Solomon. The dude's asleep. Did you miss that part? The dude's literally having a dream right now. It's so ingrained in him that he wants to please the Lord and carry out his purposes. I can't control my dreams, but Solomon's somewhat conscious, I guess. And so it's the purpose of the Lord, but then in verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, the pleasure of the Lord. How sweet is that? And do you think if God was pleased with Solomon's request for wisdom... In this text, if we were to follow the same thing and ask the Lord for wisdom, do you not think he would be pleased with ours, with our request for wisdom? Again, I I would say, uh, James, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. God's not begrudging with wisdom. God would dispense wisdom to his people. And so, believer, genuinely, go home tonight and pray for wisdom. I'm not saying you're dumb, but we're all in need of wisdom. I need wisdom. I've been praying for it all week. So this is the nature of how we ask for wisdom. This is the nature of how we seek wisdom. Proverbs says over and over and over again, seek wisdom, get wisdom, find wisdom, hang on, cling to wisdom. And so this is how we seek it, find it, and get it. But now let's look at the nature of wisdom itself. 1 Kings 3, 
We'll continue on reading our passage. It's a longer chunk, but this is an absolutely crazy story. So the Lord um, answers Solomon. God said to him, verse 11, because you've asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all of your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke. Remember, he's in a dream. And a beautiful response here. And behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. He moves from this high place out in the country directly to standing before the altar of the Lord because he's in such awe and worship of the Lord. Verse 16, crazy story. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house and this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. Sheesh. She arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. That is dirty. That's low. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. Surprise. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. That is really a surprise. The other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king, just like two babbling children. It's mine, it's mine, mine. And then the king said, the one says, this is my son that is, do a king voice. The one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king and the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. And then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, he totally just exposed her heart. Oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. And then the king, nasty lady. And then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. All right, I want to point out to you two different types of wisdom that God gives us. Two different types of wisdom God gives us. The first, write this down. Solomon says, bring me a sword. And it's a beautiful picture we'll get to in a second. But think about this for a moment. It's logical, okay? You got, some of you guys like logic? Okay. It's interesting to study. So think about this. We believe that God is wisdom, or God is the essence and the source of wisdom, right? That's why we're applying ourselves to him, praying to him, that we would receive wisdom from him. Secondly, or B, we hold that the Bible, Scripture, is God's self-revelation, or how he reveals himself to us. So God is wisdom. The word of God is his revelation of himself. Therefore, the word of God is the revelation of wisdom. Does that make sense? So now we hold that the word of God is wisdom from God. Notice how attentive Solomon is to these women. 
doesn't speak the whole time. They're going off, babbling back and forth. Like I said, you've heard two kids argue about something, right? You're like, oh my gosh, stop, stop. Solomon's just sitting there listening to them, hearing everything. And he listens not only to their words, but he's listening to their hearts. He's hearing what they're saying. And then he exposes their hearts with a sword. And there's a picture in that. This is what the word of God does to us. It exposes you and I's hearts, just like the sword exposed the the two women's hearts. One commentator, talking about Solomon, one commentator on this passage who um, also happens to be a buddy of mine said, quote, dude, it's the Old Testament Dr. Phil. Another commentator who's a little more um, scholarly actually wrote a book, writes, quote, armed with divine wisdom, he, Solomon, cuts through the repetitive testimony and counter-testimony, the, the babbling, demonstrating that Yahweh, or the Lord, the God of the, of the Old Testament and the New Testament, gave him a hearing heart, a heart attuned to the word of God. It's not even necessarily that Solomon's listening to these women, it's that his heart was attuned to the word of God. I think it's helpful to have the picture of the sword here. And that's why I wanted to make it the third point when we're talking about the word of God. Solomon says, bring me a sword. Bring me a sword. And his judgment is rendered. He renders this just judgment to these two prostitutes. Just a crazy situation. But he renders a just judgment because of his study and his reading of the word of God. He committed the word of God to his heart. He had soaked in it. He had basked in it. And so he was able to render judgment based on the word, which is the wisdom of God from God, just like a, like a clear cut with the sword, cuts right through the mess. And so the, as the first mode of wisdom, or as wisdom from God, scripture, the word of God, in the same way today, cuts through and clears up the messes which we face, the lies and the deceit of the world. Do you see that in the text? It's not any less true today. I hope you don't run into a situation like this ever in your lives. But there are so many situations where our lives end up looking like like a tangled up ball of yarn. Or or you know when you tie your shoes and you double knot them and you pull the wrong string? It's like, yeah, shoot. A mess, right? What am I supposed to do now? These are the problems that we face in our lives. And this is why this story of two prostitutes and a dead baby is applicable to us. Because the word of God, the wisdom from God, still cuts through the problems and deciphers um, lies from the truth. It shows us how we are to live our lives in a godly way. Do you guys know the story of the Gordian knot? Okay, good, let me tell you. I thought most of you would know. The Gordian knot was a knot, okay? In ancient Greece, there was a king who was going to be stepping down from his authority or something like that. And he decided in order to pick the next king, it's kind of like sword in the stone. He was going to tie a huge, almost impossible to untie knot. And he tied it up in this town called Gordia and the king's name was Gordian. So it's kind of conceited, but he he tied up this knot and so many people tried it because they all wanted to be king. Smart ones tried it. The strong ones tried it. And everyone who was otherwise successful tried it. Sullied their record. And then one day, this macho cowboy named Alexander the Great walks into town, takes out his sword, right through the knot, and became king. 
He's also king of everywhere else in the world, so probably wasn't much of a victory. But um, this is the picture of the sword, the sword of the spirit, what Paul calls the word of God, the sword of the spirit. But the sword is what cuts through our problems today as well. There is being revelation from God or the revelation of wisdom from God. It shows us how we are to live godly lives in this age, in this world. And it's no less applicable today than it was in that time. So some of you are probably out there like, okay, dude, but how, like, in Leviticus, does it say what kind of career I should go into? Or are you going to tell me from the Bible who I should date and marry? Or what does it say what I should eat for breakfast tomorrow? Obviously, those things are not explicitly or expressly written in Scripture, but that's not what wisdom is. If those were written in Scripture, that would be knowledge. But wisdom is the practical application of knowledge, the practical application of what we find in the word of God. Take Solomon's example. How about that? In the law, it doesn't say anywhere, if one day two prostitutes come to you and one has a living child and the other one has a dead child and they're arguing like two children, eh, just cut the baby in half. Solomon didn't have a textbook answer for this. He derived from the word of God based on the principles of justice and truth and mercy that he had learned in the word. If you want to know more of the principles in it, go read it for yourself that were to be used with wisdom and discretion. And the same is true of our daily lives then. Go to the word of God, study the word, read the word, memorize the word, dedicate and commit the word to your heart for more reasons than this, but so that you would have the wisdom of God and be able to cut through the tangled up situations of life. We want wisdom. Go to the word of God. It's the first source. And don't just, don't just know the word. Know the word. Solomon Gentlemen, Solomon was like a steak marinating in the word of God. I'm hungry. Solomon was marinating, soaking in the word of God. And like a steak, its flavor had been stamped on him. It's great wisdom. But I want to look at an even greater wisdom. Let's read that last verse again, verse 28. Just note the end of it, the wisdom of God. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered... And they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. So the question is now, rather than the wisdom from God, which we've decided is scripture, what is the wisdom of God? And there's a difference. It's different from the wisdom from God. The wisdom of God is something different. It literally means the wisdom belonging particularly and singularly to God himself. That's what of means. It's a possessive term. It's mine. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. True. Wisdom is revealed in God's word and the study of it. True. All these things are true. But the greatest wisdom is the word which was with God in the beginning. This is the wisdom from God, but the wisdom of God can't be contained between two letter pages. Leather pages. He stands outside of outside of eternity. More specifically, we often think of wisdom as an attribute. Wisdom is a person. The wisdom of God has been shown to us in Christ Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, write down 1 Corinthians 1, I think 18 through 20-something, but write down verse 24. The Apostle Paul says that Christ actually is the wisdom of God. And I would dare to say it is the greatest wisdom. 
Jesus Christ, if you want wisdom, pray like Solomon did, but Jesus Christ is the greatest wisdom. One, because he actually wrote scripture. God wrote scripture. But secondly, because scripture then turns around and the whole canon of scripture is pointing towards the glory of Jesus Christ. And so he is the beginning and the end of it, making him the greatest wisdom. So again, we're lost in life, right? That's, that's the use of wisdom, practical, godly use of knowledge when you're lost in life. So it's Christ, the compass, when we're lost in a, in a dark forest. It's Christ, the clearing in the fog when you're driving in the, in the country on a foggy night. Or Christ, the map, or I guess GPS, when you can't find the way. It is Christ in his life, death, and resurrection, which is the wisdom of God. And Paul says that wisdom of God is actually backwards in, our, in the world's understanding. So if you go read that 1 Corinthians passage, it says that what the world counts as big and strong and powerful and healthy and wealthy and smart, God counts all those things as nothing. Rubbish. He treads down the proud, but he exalts the humble. And there was none more humble than Christ. We see humility most clearly. Again, this is the path of wisdom from God. We see humility most clearly in the person of Christ, in the life of Christ. Think about this for a minute. Let's do a quick survey of Christ's life. In eternity, enthroned forever, worshipped by angels, creatures greater than us, but descends from heaven, born in the same flesh which he was created, which he created, living under parents who he created and who were also sinful while he was perfect. Think you have it rough with your parents? He served the sick, lame, and spiritually dead in his ministry. And then, just when you think it's over, death. Shameful death and the most shameful death. And you and I, actually, you and I often rise to the, to the pinnacle or the climax or the top of our lives, like bodily, near our late 20s, I think, and probably career-wise, in our late 30s through 40s, we're rising up and then we decline into death. Jesus' life, pinnacled, climax, was his death. Because through his death, he was glorified. Through his death, he's exalted. Hebrews says that. Philippians says that. Colossians says that. So the pinnacle of his life is death. And now he received glory and honor from nature Go read the Psalms. Nature's crying out in glory to him from people we just sang and angels. It even says that angels worship him. And so by becoming the lowest, he becomes the greatest. And this is the wisdom of God, which is opposite to the world's wisdom. So again, when the world is bombarding you with fake fraud wisdoms, this is the one wisdom from God. And thinking about humility, not many of you are going to get a band of disciples together and start washing their feet. But this humility is the beginning of wisdom. Listen, the the first step in wisdom, you want wisdom? God's already told us how to get it in his word. You want wisdom? It begins with humility. It begins by looking at the example of Christ and humble submission to the king, humble submission to Christ himself. Proverbs says that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, wisdom. 
That means humility, submission to our king is the beginning of wisdom. So this, this then will lead to all sorts of other things. Believers, by your submission to Christ, or those of you who are not in Christ, who do submit to Christ, by your submission to Christ, that leads to all sorts of other things. That leads to you loving and serving the church and the members of it because they are Christ's. That leads to you loving the word of God because it's his word. It's the word of God. (laughs) And every other thing in the Christian life begins with this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Humble submission to the king is the way of God's wisdom. And so the world says to us, the path that you've chosen to follow, the Christ that you've chosen to follow, that path is hard, It's difficult and you'll never make it. That's what worldly wisdoms say. But to us believers, by the wisdom of God, we hold forth the wisdom from God, the word of God. Our master has already tread these steps. Our master has already been humbled to the most extreme point. So we say, this is the way my master has gone. And so I go to the path is hard, but I rejoice following Christ's steps. It's difficult, but I see his palace just ahead And I may not make it alone, but the wisdom of God will carry me through, namely Jesus Christ. So finally, again, imagine yourself back in that ice cream shop. Quick twist. All of the ice creams in that shop out of the hundreds, except one of them, is poisoned. So choose wisely. There are now in the world more than ever before many lowercase, fake wisdoms. And every day it seems like we're entering that ice cream shop. You guys are going to hate ice cream shops after this. Every day it seems like we're entering that ice cream shop and that it's only a matter of taste. Choose whatever you'd like. That is wrong. Be very careful. It's not a matter of taste. The world will try to distract you with colors, smells, tastes, There's only one ice cream that you can choose. There's only one wisdom of God which you can choose. That is Jesus Christ. There's one wisdom which is greater than the rest. That's the wisdom from God, which is his word. And it cuts like a a sword. I hope you guys hold the word of God. It was literally breathed out by God as precious, especially after hearing what it's able to do to give you wisdom. And even then even greater than that, because he's the beginning and the end of the word, the source of it and its goal is the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ. He is the greatest self-revelation of God. People search for God all the time. People search for wisdom all the time. Christ is the greatest revelation of God and of wisdom ever. And so again, go back to Proverbs 1.7. The fool hates or despises wisdom and understanding. And so there are a number of you, probably a lot of you in here, who whether you like it or not are considered fools because you hate, despise, and your hearts have rejected the wisdom of God, namely Jesus Christ. In that that case, remember that wisdom is a gift. I said that at the beginning, and Proverbs says that. Wisdom is a gift, or James, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you are without Christ, there's nothing but to ask for him. To ask for the greatest wisdom 
which the world has ever had. It is a gift. It is not earned. It's yours for the asking. Get wisdom. I, I pray, I, I've prayed so many times already this week just reading this, that those of you who are without wisdom, who are left without understanding, without wisdom, without the wisdom of God, that you would pray just like Solomon, recognizing God as holy, recognizing him as powerful, and therefore just to punish your sin. And then recognizing yourself as exactly what you are. Job says that every one of us is a worm in the dust who needs to repent in dust and ashes. And Job is a believer. That means repentance is realizing who we are before God, which is not a pretty picture. And I, I've been praying that you would realize that if you, are, if you do not have the wisdom of God. And then finally, that you would ask the Lord for wisdom. I've prayed for you that you would ask the Lord for true wisdom, for the wisdom of God, Christ. And then, believer, there's nothing but joy for you in this. Cling. Cling to the one who you know proclaimed himself to be the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and who is also the only wisdom of God. You have something Plato and Aristotle never had. You have something which every pagan on earth and every what Proverbs calls a fool will never have. You've been given a great gift in Christ. And I pray, again, I've prayed for you and I've prayed for myself that we would not be lethargic and apathetic or sleepy in this, but that we, that we would <laughs> recognize it as the gift that it is and, and be truly grateful for this. And so again, I don't want to depart too far from our text. Like Solomon, you and I pray and earnestly seek wisdom and we commit the word to our hearts, believers, and we cling to the wisdom of God who is Christ. You have no other hope in life. And there is no other way. This is the wisdom of God. Father, thank you for... You're so gracious to reveal to us not only your word, not only words on a paper, although they are inspired and breathed out by yourself, revealing to us wisdom, giving us everything that, is need, that we need for life and for godliness. But again, even greater... Father, you revealed yourself to us in the person of Christ, who, was, who is the image of God but took on human flesh and became to us the wisdom of God through his life and is now exalted in his resurrection, God. And I pray for every single heart in this room and every single soul that they would be exalted with Christ and that they would experience the wisdom of God forever for all of eternity. Lord, I pray that you would cause some to come to repentance. And I pray that you would encourage and strengthen believers that they have the wisdom of God, which is Christ, and I pray that they would cling to that desperately as if it were a matter of life and death, because it is. Lord, grant us more grace. Show us yourself more. Reveal to us more of your wisdom. Thank you for this night. Amen. All right, well, you all can go to your life groups. Hope you, I pray you have good discussions.